Our political commentators are with us, Neil Jones and Tim Hurdle. I think the ministerial swearing-in is underway around about now at Government House. We might have a cross a little bit later this hour. Morning to both of you. Kia ora. Good morning. Morning. Uh, let's just run through. Neil was Chief of Staff to the Labour leader Jacinda Ardern. Prior to that, Chief of, Chief of Staff to the former leader Andrew Little. He is Director of the Public Affairs Firm Capital. Tim is a former National Senior Advisor, was the National Party Campaign Director in 2020, Director of several companies, including Museum Street Strategies, a public affairs firm. Uh, just at the outset, I want to make a correction from the live broadcast on Friday. Of course, everything was pouring out at once. Uh, but I referred to the disestablishment of the wrong commission. It is the Productivity Commission that will be disestablished as part of uh, the new kind of red tape um, regulatory ministry that uh, will be getting underway, not the Infrastructure Commission. So there would have been some conniptions, I'm sure, and I apologise for that. Just to put it on record, it's the Productivity Commission that is to go. Right, let's get into it with the pair of you on... Uh, your take out from the arrangements as they landed, and then we'll get into a few more details. Neil? Um, I'll start with in terms of the ministers and the agreements. I think, you know, in terms of the ministers, I think they did a pretty good job. Um, there's not a huge amount of experience up top, but Willis and Bishop have had experience in ministerial offices, so, and you've got some good experience coming in from the minor parties, so I think they've actually managed to allocate the portfolios in quite a good way. Um, and they managed to get a coalition agreement, which I can see why it took so much time. They are quite detailed, and they've managed to stitch three parties together. So that's the nice bit. It's all, I think they've done a good job there. In terms of the content of the agreements, I have to say I was quite surprised when I got through my initial sort of um, flurry of doing in my day job of going through for individual clients and looking at what affected them, and I sat down and looked at the whole thing myself. And I was quite surprised by how much socially reactionary stuff has been put into those agreements. Um, it, it, You know, Luke Malpass from The Post, who I think you'd struggle to call a left-wing radical, has dis- described it as possibly the most right-wing government since the 80s or 90s. I think certainly you're going back to the Muldoon era before you see this sort of social reaction, um, whether it's on Māori issues, which have the potential to be very divisive, um, trans rights, renters... Um, the bizarre thing on rolling back smoking restrictions. I I do think um, there is a serious risk for Christopher Luxon, who has come in being the economy guy. He's been very outward-focused on international trade, building infrastructure, getting our mojo back and all this kind of thing. I think there is a risk that his government becomes defined and overwhelmed by some of the time bombs in this agreement if if it's not managed carefully. You look at how derailed Labour got from Three Waters. There's probably a dozen of those hiding in these agreements. And I think it is, you know, it is a real departure from the key English approach. If you look at what John Key did, he came off the back of Don Brash. He took a very deliberate um, detoxification strategy. He embraced the Māori Party, and he worked to sort of sort of dampen down um, discord within society. Um, Luxon appears to abandon that approach, and I just don't think that's politically wise. Tim? Well, I think um, we are seeing a government that reflects six years of a um, Labour government. We had a full majority Labour government in the last term, and this is the pendulum swinging back um, in reaction to some of those policies that were brought in. Um, Neil might say that it's right-wing, but these things have been well signalled. Most of these were issues in the campaign trail, and the combined vote for these three parties is well over 50%. And... um, 
it does represent probably a majority view in New Zealand uh, that a lot of these issues are. Um, those issues, are the smaller issues, do tend to get focused on, but overall I saw a very strong commitment to an economic growth um, strategy with New Zealand First focusing quite hard on the infrastructure um, side of the equation, um, ACT very focused on deregulation and market efficiency, and National looking at some of the uh, ability for the economy to be um, freed up with resources moving more into the private sector and out of the public sector. So overall, I actually saw quite a strong emphasis on economic growth as one of the kind of key principles in both the agreements. So overall, I thought it was um, not an agreement that um, you wouldn't expect. Um, there were a lot. There wasn't anything that we didn't really expect to happen. So I thought it was a very well put together document because it provides a strong platform to form a government that can last three years. I, look, I agree on the issue around coherence, and I think there's some good signaling around infrastructure and consenting and these kinds of things. I, I guess I would disagree that the the amount, almost the fixation on some of the reactionary issues, is what New Zealanders voted for. I think it was all there in the people's in the various parties' manifestos. But I think the balance, I mean, I had expected personally that we would see New Zealand first given some regional development and some money for that kind of thing. Winston gets foreign affairs, they get some sort of primary industry portfolios, ACT gets some deregulation and cuts to public services. You know, I, I didn't expect the, the level of reactionary policy there. And I, I do think it is, I do think this is outside of the expectations of most New Zealanders. So certainly people voted for change, but I think there's a vulnerability there. And that some people, I think, might be a bit surprised by what they ended up with. Well, where would that play out, though? Uh, because yeah. some of the language was fairly loose as well. You could drive a truck through some of it. Where do you see what you are arguing as being um, devices or devices were going to be controversial actually happening? I think and how? I think on Maori issues is the is the largest one, particularly around um, getting Seymour's treaty principles referendum to select committee even is going to open up a wound. I think Māori will be in the courts and in the streets over that. Um, I think retrospectively requiring councils that have brought in Māori wards to have referenda on Māori wards. We've just seen the voice in Australia, what that ha- what happened there. I think you have a very divisive situation in the next local government elections, if that's when the referendum's held, where you could see a scenario where local communities vote to remove Māori representation. I think that would be very divisive. Um, I think there's some some odd which probably isn't isn't that noticeable right now, but some odd sort of Voices for Freedom-style conspiracy stuff. There's, um, you know, stuff in there about the UN and the WHO. Um, there's the new COVID inquiry. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, the stuff around gen- so-called gender ideology in schools, I think for a lot of communities, um, that's going to be quite divisive. I mean, I've got friends who've got, you know, a trans kid. I, I hate to think what their life's going to be like if this comes in. Um, if so what I, comes so I, in? Well, there's, a, there's an element in there around removing sexuality and gender studies in schools and um, pushing back against gender ideology, which is a well-known reactionary conspiracy. Tim, how much do you see what Neil is highlighting is ever likely to really see the light of day in effect? I mean, clearly the, 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 the treaty principles, legislation going to select committee will... But how how else do you see some of what has been negotiated in here by some of the smaller parties as potentially throwing up some challenges down the track for um, 
the, the incoming Prime Minister and the National Party leader, who was perhaps far less exercised by these matters. Yeah, I, I disagree with Neil because I see that the, the viewpoint out in regional areas in Auckland is probably uh, reflected in the election that was quite a different vote in those areas than it was in Wellington. And what you're seeing is sort of a move away from um, a lot of those things that Neil was um, worried about, um, are, are less of a concern out in some of the regions. So I do think that there is um, um, a, probably a pushback against the sort of centralisation labour model, which was sort of um, determining from the centre what would happen. I don't think there will be the, the great um, reaction that, that you, you know, that Neil fears. I think that people are actually just wanting to see everyone get a fair go. I think um, even in things like the abolition of the Maori Health Authority, you might not have um, a central bureaucracy running Maori Health, but you're not going to move back from uh, devolved health um, provision in the communities. You're not going to move back from uh, iwi taking a lead on um, social welfare and um, child protection in their communities. That 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 is that delivery side is going to carry on. It's probably just moving back from the centralised government-controlled model that we've had in the last six years. My, my, my hope is with this stuff it doesn't get progressed. I mean, if you look back at the 2017 agreements, about a third to half of it never actually went anywhere. So it's possible some of the stuff just, just gets left okay. on the shelf. Let's look at uh, what some of the real challenges will be, which is making everything add up. Uh, and let's have a look at the mini budget that's going to happen, gosh, very soon. Uh, emphasis on mini, says the uh, incoming finance minister. But still the expectations are there. The foreign buyers... Um, ban being lifted off houses $2 million or more went, and with it, what National believe would be $750 million a year. The Prime Minister incoming on Friday talking about more savings and new revenue streams. What we learned this morning is one of those is likely to be higher tax income from tobacco sales than there would have been if not repealing the smoke-free laws. An interesting start to things, Tim. Uh, where else do you see that hole being plugged? Well, I actually see the hole getting bigger too because um, there's some pretty big projects sitting out there that um, have been floating around without an answer. For example, the IREX project between the in, the replacement interrail and ferry terminals. Um, there was articles in the media in September talking about how that was cost-blowing out. I think some of the roading budget will be under heavy pressure. Uh, some of the pay rounds that have come through. So there's, a, there's going to be a lot of problems um, revealed um, in the fiscal update, and the question will be how to fill it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very challenging um, task to, to make everything add up. Uh, presumably there was a lot of modelling going on during the coalition talks to try and figure out where the gaps were and what opportunities were there. But, yeah, it's, I think we'll probably see the next budget will be crucial for um, achieving the outcomes that um, this government set out in this agenda. What do you I think accept? The mini budget will end up just being up to eight, really. Okay, so you're basically seeing the mini budget as being uh, here's what the DFU says, rather than um, uh, any any actual carrying any actual significant changes. What do you expect of it? Well, I, don't, I don't think you can put um, a detailed um, budget through in a matter of weeks. So, you know, the budget cycle for a normal budget um, measured into five to six months. This is. This is three weeks, um, so you're just not getting anywhere near the level of um, uh, micro detail that you would 
will you'd the, hope to have. Will the DFI, which is the December Economic and Fiscal Update, so the latest update we'll get from Treasury of the State of the Books, will it have had time to incorporate the new government's coalition agreements and costings, Tim? Uh, they may have some estimates, but I would not have a total knowledge on how much the Treasury would sign off on that being final. They will probably put in some um, issues as um, unquantified fiscal risk, which means that they'll, they'll note that they're a, a policy and that will have an implication, but they may not put a specific number against that. Um, and that um, is the nature of every budget. They have a, a table in the back which lists out the fiscal risks and the potential ups and downs of that, and that will probably be a very interesting section to see what's what's being added into that. What, how exposed do you believe the incoming government is on the numbers? I think quite exposed. I mean, we, we talked about this before the election. They were always going to have trouble making it add up. Um, there was very little contingency left, and losing the foreign buyers ban, ban as illusory as those numbers probably were, um, that does create a massive hole in the books. They've also... Uh, agreed with ACT to speed up the uh, interest deductibility changes for landlords, and they've, there will be there are other policies throughout the agreement that it's not clear what the fiscal cost will be. So they've they've already clawed some back. Um, you'll have seen that they have clawed back the working for families changes that were going to take place in 2026, um, and there's a few other things they've cut, but there, sh there, there will be a significant gap. Um, you can already see that normal theatre when a government comes in about, oh, when we open the box, there's going to be all these unexpected things. You sort of see that every Talk time. Talk of recession as well, Talk which, recession, which is bizarre. immediately impacts the, um, uh, where it to happen, immediately impacts the tax take. But. Yeah, and of course the stats, though, show that the June 2023 figure for GDP was 3.2% growth, so I don't know where Luxon's getting his his, um, his figures from. Um, but it's an annualised figure. Yeah, annualised figure, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but it's certainly not recession. Um, in any case, I, I think they are probably going to end up having to either cut, make bigger cuts or bring in new taxes or push out debt. Probably push out debt would be the most likely one, the most pain-free one. Um, and they could try and blame the previous government for that. On the question of job cuts, uh, the point's been made that the finance minister incoming, who is, she probably is by now, by the way, they're <laughs> crossing to our press gallery in a moment, they've probably been sworn in, so I think we can just call them their proper names now. The finance minister, Nicola Willis, who's also in charge of the public service, interestingly, is also a Wellington-based um, MP, didn't win um, uh, the seat, but is a Wellington-based MP, Tim. And this talk about returning to baseline numbers of 2017, which I think carries something like 15,000 job losses, how politically problematic is some of what has been promised here? And has the agreement again been worded in a way that enables wriggle room, Tim? Yeah, well, it didn't um, put specific um, numbers too hard on it. It did put some aspirations, but it didn't set up a time that it would have to be achieved by Be informed either. by. Um, I think as the two words yeah. everyone was, say was yeah. saying, that, that, that the reduction in numbers would be informed by the 2017 headcount. And and, and you, what what is always unclear in these circumstances, um, you know, people are hiring and firing all the time. So there may be a, a number of... I, I was surprised to see a couple of jobs advertised on Friday, um, which, um, you know, people are still hiring, so there's no hiring freeze out there. Um, and that will be the question is what jobs are unfilled, um, what functions um, will actually need to be fully made redundant, or and, and that, that is a very complicated and uh, difficult process. There'll be redundancies, um, there'll be um, replacement 
whether you whether you fill a job straight away or not. So so actually managing that headcount down um, is a very complicated process and will occur over time. Let's talk about the 100 days plan, which was, of course, originally nationals. The question is how much of it has survived. The 100 days, I think everyone's looking to the 1st of March as being that deadline. Yeah, and it's a very ambitious 100-day plan. Um, I think you know, if they were able to achieve it, it would be a Herculean task. Um, it, there are a lot of things that are relatively simple. Start this, stop that, instruct that, begin that. But there are a bunch of pieces of legislation they're promising to introduce or repeal, and that includes you know, the Māori Health Authority, fair pay agreements, um, RMA, three waters. waters. It goes on and on and on. Um, I wonder if they might be smart. They have talked about the coalition negotiations impacting it. I wonder if National might be smart to pare back the 100-day plan um, following coalitions, because what you don't want to do is fail to deliver in your first 100 days. That would be bad. So I think a streamlined, more achievable one might be better. Tim, uh, look, the other matter there, there are pleas coming from councils already over what, for detail, over what is going to replace what was Three Waters. Some of them are struggling to put together 10-year plans. There's been a lot of money invested in that program already and a lot of changes happened. And they're also desperate to know about transport decisions. Those who've got some quite big transport um, plans underway and now potentially on hold. How, how much clarity can be achieved in in a hundred days, say on on that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think that that is a, a very difficult thing to do because we're sort of in this um, halfway house scenario where they have been standing up these water entities. Um, you know, put, people have been appointed to jobs and rules, uh, but then there's uh, there's a lack of clarity as to whether that will go back to the old council functions or whether it will move into a a, a, a different model again. And um, I think there will need to be quite a bit of work done by the responsible minister who I eludes me um to to pull all that into a more coherent form because um there, there's been there's been very indications about what what that will happen I think the roading thing too uh, the pressures on the roading budget will be a really interesting thing to look at um, I think some of that, that provincial a, growth that, fund um, yeah. has been earmarked whatever the provincial growth fund is now earmarked for um and I've been struggling with titles lately, as you see, um, has been earmarked for roading as well. The Minister's being sworn in right now, and I can inform you that the new Prime Minister has been officially sworn in to his role. Uh, the Minister's being sworn in now. Any particular surprises there? Um, Judith Collins has quite a heavy load. I mean, she's, she is very capable for all you know the criticisms I might have her in her other ways. I think she's a capable minister. She's done a really good job in the technology area, and she's got the experience as a lawyer for the other parts. So I... I did notice some wags noting that Christopher Luxon had given Judith Collins all the tools she would need to launch a coup d'etat, um, which is probably unwise. Um, I also thought it was interesting that National actually managed to hold on to all of the big portfolios pretty much in the negotiations. There was talk of ACT getting education or New Zealand First getting you know, Attorney General Everyone or something. agriculture. Um, or agriculture. And they've managed to hold on to the big ones. So I found I thought that was a surprise as well. Policies over, uh, over positions perhaps. Tim? Yeah, I think that was the observation I made too, which was I was surprised how a few big portfolios had been given away. Um, and when you look down the the lists of um, what ACT and New Zealand First have got, they've got some good associate roles, but they haven't necessarily got the, the big portfolios. And that probably le- leads into the question that we will soon see, which is um, the next layer of government is the sort of who's on the cabinet committees, who's in the decision-making. 
um, and that can be a very powerful place to be, particularly in, given this is going to be a three-way government. Cabinet committees will become very important where, where ministers are taking up their policies to get clearance before they go on to the next step. And then even further down, because of the, the nature of government, we'll have select committees. I suspect that the minor parties will probably pick up some important select committee chairs. I wouldn't be surprised if that got financing expenditure or something like that. Um, just to, to sort of um, spread the the connections between the three parties through the through the machinery of government, really. I also just thought it was interesting that um, David Seymour's largest portfolio is his regulatory reform portfolio and then a couple of associates, including associate finance. But um, it'll be interesting to see whether he's able to use that regulatory reform portfolio in the way that well, he it's wants. Broad. It's yeah. broad, isn't it? And that's, the, finance, and, associate that, finance. and that's the question, I guess, yeah. is is he going to be able to use that to range across the government uh-huh. to remove regulation, or yeah. is he going to find himself kind of ghetto-wise without, you know, another minister saying, don't poke into my portfolio? He's also got to lead his party, uh, and that's the, the other thing. These aren't just job titles. These are massive, massive, mm. uh, long hours and days uh, at, at the office focused on complex organisations. Uh, so, you know, it, the, 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 but it was an interesting takeout. Final, final question to you. Uh, Labour, Greens to Party Māori in opposition, have I left anybody out? Um, what are they going to focus on? Uh, Labour, obviously, the former health minister was straight in on this idea that you fill a tax hole in part because you're selling more cigarettes than would have been the case if you hadn't repealed a policy. Um, where else are they going to zero in? So I think... Obviously, as I was talking about before, there are a range of areas where I think they risk being offside with New Zealand um, and, and sort of the, the, the decent values of New Zealanders. I think that is an area where Labour can focus. Um, without being dragged into some Twitter-style culture war, they need to be very clear about what they focus on. I think the smoking one was, good, was a good first start. Um, they have bigger issues around regaining their credibility on health, housing, education, which they lost in the polling during the campaign. Um, and I think I think more broadly, they you know they need to start you know they're not going to be able to run this time for a change. Everything's broken because they were just in power, so they're going to have to hold national acting New Zealand first to account on their own measures. You've promised this fix, you've promised this change, you haven't delivered it. It hasn't got better. It's getting worse. And I, I think the other one as well is climate change. Um, there is going to be a uh, draft climate. There's a draft um, emissions reduction plan coming. Um, there is we, this government plans to be in power. I imagine in the year 2030 when we hit our first milestone, um, there's not much in those agreements that takes us forward. It seems to be taking us back. I think that's a real challenge okay. for national as well. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I think um, the, the challenge for Labour is trying to restore its credibility after being pretty profoundly rejected for its lack of delivery. And meanwhile, the Greens and Maori Party are going to be nibbling at their sides. Although the Green Party now. Um, <clears throat> It's putting up petitions when it could have been in coalition talks. Um, it's sort of going to have a credibility problem about what you actually get when you vote for the Greens because they, they sit on the side. I believe they're co-locating their offices with the Maori Party. Um, they've very much um, spent the last three weeks worrying about the Middle East and not really talking about New Zealand. So um, they're going to have a huge problem trying to get cut through uh, uh, if, the, if this government is successful because they, they're... Um, they're increasingly a marginalised group. I was just thinking about the promise of delivery, which is always a risky thing to do. A former Prime Minister um, said it, and uh, they need to answer for it for the rest of her term. But um, I think one of the things on my mind at the moment is that massive uh, congestion at Westfield Mall in Auckland where you're stuck in a car park for three hours. You know, the, the, the pressures on uh, the cities at the moment, and the regions as well, still recovering from Cyclone Gabriel, you know, 
you're not talking potholes in the case of the East Coast, East Cape. You're talking about entire roads that are out. The expectations will be high, Tim. Um, those oh. councils, those councils that are cash-strapped, dealing with huge infrastructure issues. You make the promise, um, you, you set yourself up. And, yep. and how, yeah, long, how long do you think they've got? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the other issue they've got is they said that they would um, not raise um, excise tax yeah. uh, on fuel. So um, you've got Auckland's mayor wanting to have a chat. Pay for it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, I, full disclosure was his chief of staff, but, you know, the, the point being that they're, they're going to have to really race into the concept of, um, uh, I think, of, of electronic um, road charging to try and get a better way of uh, collecting the tax because you're going to need the money to pay for that increasingly um, expensive road budget. Yeah, look, if this government can figure out how to build things and fund them, which is something New Zealand has struggled with for decades, I think they'll have a very good case to take the next election. And I think one thing Labour has to reflect on is how in six years they haven't built a single inch of track on the light rail and how they'll change that so they can build things when they're back in power. Just trying to quickly look up Simeon Brown's portfolios because he's got a few of these. Has he, has he got the Minister for Auckland role? Has he got transport? He's got transport, yes, he he's does. got local government, he's got Auckland. He's got, got some, energy. He's got some pretty key portfolios that are right at the nub of these things. We still don't know who's in charge of the policy formerly known as Three Waters. Maybe Craig McCulloch can tell us. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Thank you, uh, Tim and Neil.